Hello, my name is Flick Beckett and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly sponsored by Kia, the champion of independent cinema nationwide. On today's show, we are talking with Jono McLeod, a documentary filmmaker whose extraordinary debut feature, My Old School, was selected for this year's Sundance and is in Picturehouses from August the 19th. Brandon Lee acts as if he's been a pupil at Bearstown Academy from the very beginning. Hiding in plain sight. It's about the best place you can hide. Police found that Lee had two passports. People thought he might be a spy. And that was when he said, My name isn't Brandon Lee, and I'm not who you think I am. What? They're human beings, but to me they were just a means to an end. There was no crime committed, technically. Was it morally acceptable? It's a story which is seemingly never ending. Welcome to the Love of Cinema Picturehouse podcast, John McLeod, director of the brilliant, highly entertaining and quietly disturbing documentary, My Old School. And um, congratulations, this is your first feature and was selected for Sundance 2022. So I just want to have a little reflection on that. How amazing, how brilliant was that for you? Yeah, no, it was it's just that surreal moment when you get that call that um, your movie's in Sundance, it kind of changes everything. Sends everyone a bit crazy, uh, yourself included. But no, it was really special. I was sitting right here actually when I got the got the call. They tell I'm 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 giving away state secrets, but they basically they you get an email saying they have they have some questions about your film and you have a panic and you think, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? How can I explain it? And uh, and then you get this call saying the question is, can you come to Utah? Or not, as it turns out, because Sundance then doesn't happen because of uh, blooming COVID. But um, so it was all virtual, but I can't really complain because we had the most amazing experience, albeit sat here in London. Um, and we really, you know, we got great reviews and it was just a really special, special thing. Hopefully we'll all get to go to next year's Sundance and show up as the little ghosts of Sundance past because there's now two years worth of filmmakers who didn't get their Sundance experience. And I, yeah. bought, I, bought, I bought the snow boots and everything, you know. Was, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Left with their little tags on in the Yeah, in the pristine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. And, but I did, I've heard pros and cons, like, because for a few filmmakers that I've spoken to about it, they were so pleased that the online experience was so good and lots of more people actually got to see the film. Yeah, I mean, I got to sit at home and watch, you know, a bunch of amazing films and just marvel, like watching films and thinking, oh my God, my films sitting in with like cha-cha real smooth and all these amazing, amazing, amazing movies. So, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was great for for to be aware that the film was getting out there in that way. And the kind of weird, what was sweet for us was the kind of knock-on effect of that then was that our first physical screening for an audience ended up being the Glasgow Film Festival. So then it doubled, not only as the premiere of my film, but the high school reunion that um, we've never had was suddenly on a red carpet with all my classmates and everything. It was the most (laughs) surreal experience of my life, yeah. That is 
fabulous especially as, like back in the day we never had proms or anything like that so to have your red carpet moment then <laughs> yeah no we, we had we, we had school dances in Scotland you learn how to highland dance at school so that every year we'd have these weird um highland dancing events but yeah this was like uh we didn't do any that we didn't do any highland dancing I don't think at the premiere but oh, missed uh, a trick there. yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> so this story has been 30 years in rumination for you I mean was it something that you thought after a bit of a career in documentary that you thought I could make this or was it something that you thought one day I will make that film? Yeah, I guess. I mean, my, all my documentaries before now have been for television and I have a producer who I work with called Olivia Lichtenstein who produced on this film too. And um, she'd always said to me, because it was my kind of dinner party story, the story of Brandon Lee, my high school classmate, it was my dining out uh, anecdote. And she'd always said, you know, that's a great film if you ever want to make a film and you know we'd go to the Sheffield documentary festival and there you'd really I'd really be aware of this divide between the TV documentary folk there and the film ones and I'd always look over enviously at all their events and think gosh you know one day I'd like to you know to make a feature to not be kind of just making 44 minutes or 60 minute um television docs so um yeah so get basically when the time came and I felt ready to kind of make a feature that happened to coincide with and my old classmate Brandon getting himself back out in the world a bit more he brought out a, a, a published a memoir and was telling his story again you know he's told his story multiple times over the years but um this was the you know the first time I'd kind of reached out to him and he he agreed to be interviewed but on the stipulation that um he would only record an audio interview he wouldn't be, appear on camera so if I knew of a way to make a film um without him having to appear then I was kind of welcome to and my mind immediately jumped to a film called The Arbor by Clau Bernard that came out Ooh. 12 12 years ago. And it's so weird because Clau's new film, um, Ali and Eva, is coming out. We're, we we open the same in some cinemas in the States. We're opening it together this week. And it's so amazing because if it wasn't for for Clau making The Arbor, I would, I'd probably have made a podcast or something. But um, uh, yeah, so here it is. Sorry, that's my dog growling at random stuff. Excuse <laughs> me, mister, come here. Um, I- yeah, so that's that's really special. Yes, and what a fabulous connection. And also just the idea that Alan Cumming was actually lined up to play Brandon all those years ago. So what happened there? What what why did that go off the radar? Yeah, we were all so basically all us classmates were kind of waiting for this film to appear. We were always aware, you know, uh, Brandon had written this memoir back in the day and had sold the movie rights, and it was going to be this film, it was going to be called Younger Than Springtime. It was going to be directed by and star Alan Cumming as Brandon. So when that never appeared, you know, for whatever reason, you know, films fall through and they don't happen. We were all kind of slightly disappointed. We were all a bit suspicious when Drew Barrymore's Never Been Kissed then appeared shortly afterwards. Uh, we thought oh, that's a bit close to the Brandon story, but um, we'll, we'll let Drew away with that. But no, uh, so then, yeah, decades pass and no, still nobody had told this story on film. Certainly nobody had um, kind of reached out to the classmates and the teachers in the way that, that we ended up doing. And I think that's that's the difference really is that this is the first time it's been told by so many people who were there at the time, not just by Brandon himself. Yes. And that gives it a whole different energy. I thought the perspective was was very interesting because whilst it is about this imposter, it's also a kind of celebration of so much more than that. I wonder, like, just things like um, bringing everyone together, because it would have been very sort of traumatising for so many people in, in, a, in a bizarre kind of way. But the way you've presented it, I think 
it's quite healing. Yeah, I mean, I was always super conscious uh, going into this process of there being a big resistance in Bearsden from people, uh, you know, the town where it was, where it all happened. Um, and among my classmates, um, a resistance to anybody telling this story kind of unfairly or wrongly or whatever. So, you know, there was a lot of trust that I had to kind of establish between myself and, and you know, because actually a lot of these classmates I've not spoken to in 25 years. I'm not, I left school, I ran away, I never looked back. Mm. So it was a lot of, hi, do you remember me? And basically the people that you see on screen were nice and said they did. <laughs> <laughs> but there were other people who were like, no, we don't know who you are. You know, because I was, I was just, I was a little ghost at school. I wasn't one of the popular kids or anything. I wasn't even from the town where the film is set. Um, I came in by bus every day. So I've always felt like an outsider at school. So I think that, and, you know, and growing up and being a gay teenager at school and, and feeling as like a total outsider and feeling totally different, I think that absolutely taps into the kind of, you know, the feeling that I put into making the film, basically, and, and, and maybe a little bit of empathy for, for, you know, Brandon being different from everyone else. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's, and, 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 and also just, I, I hated school. It was like prison. It was like hell. So, you know, my, my excuse for not noticing Brandon's, you know, big secret was that I had, you know, a secret of my own that I was desperately trying to focus on and keep from everyone. So um, you're so self-obsessed when you're a teenager. Yeah. yeah, no, I was really aware going into it, that, you know, and also I was getting, I was bringing these classmates into a reconstructed classroom, you know, we filmed it in an old school and it can be quite triggering for people. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially for some of the kids who experience bullying and stuff like that. So it's been, a, I've just tried to tell this story as sensitively as possible and try and be as kind of fair to everyone as I can, because, you know, I'm there, I'm entwined in all this. So it's mm. not like I'm this documentary filmmaker who can come in screw everyone over and get out you know this is my this is my childhood too yes I didn't feel that it was at all cynical and that you were trying you were just hungry for the story like this is what happened and this is what it's like now kind of thing I, I felt that you it was a very caring re, a, a telling of an account of a situation that was bizarre and mind-blowing that happened and my feeling was that it was beyond Brandon and that you were taking care of the people and wanting to know how it affected them. And, and, and I thought it was really interesting the use of animation as well, because that's a lovely device for taking the load off people. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, no, we, we went through the mill kind of trying to figure out how we were gonna you know, tell this story mm. because it's such a complicated, it's quite a complicated plot. And, you know, we go backwards yeah. in time and then we go forwards again. And I knew that we needed, I knew I needed a lot of reconstruction basically because I, I, I wanted this film to reach as many people as possible. And I knew that therefore I needed to, you know, hold people's hands a lot um, through, through it and not make it too difficult or complicated to watch. So when we went into the process, I thought, oh, this is my first movie. I'm going to film, you know, period reconstruction drama scenes. And someone explained what that meant budget wise. And also I realized that it just, it just didn't feel quite right. You know, we, we tried a thing where we filmed some actors on green screen and we rotoscoped over them, like kind of like the aha video kind of thing. And it looked really striking, but it was it was kind of sinister. Mm. And that wasn't the feel that I wanted for the film. You know, I knew by then that my interviews had this warmth and this fun and connection to them. And the film was cut by that stage. Um, we had a storyboarded cut 
I mean, even I think we'd even filmed Alan, to be honest with you, before I had the brainwave that basically Brandon had walked into their classroom with this big mop of hair, glasses. It's the 90s. He's got a North American monotone voice that he's Daria, this icon of 90s animation. Um, uh, there's no better kind of person to nod to than this iconic girl who kind of defined 90s high school and animation. So, yeah, and then we would go back in time to the 70s and we referenced, I mean, I was looking at like the Archie show and Scooby-Doo and stuff like that for those. But yeah, once I kind of figured that out as a, as a way to do it, and, I get, and also having an understanding that, you know, I did, I'd spent basically a year or two just reading graphic novels and kind of getting into the, the understanding of the connect. People can have a much stronger connection to a little circle with two dots and a line for a mouth than they can with me trying to convince them that this actor is the 30 year old version of Alan Cumming, who's actually, you know what I mean? I knew it was complicated already mm. with Alan's portrayal. So I needed to balance that out with something as simple as possible. And that's, that's where the animation came in. Genius, yes. And, and I, I couldn't work out why, why it was Daria. Now you've explained it as well. It's like, oh yes, of course, that's perfect. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before, so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. And also, yeah, I mean, Alan Cumming was, that is an extraordinary performance. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. Was that, was, was, did you say that it was from the Arbor? I've not seen the Arbor. Yeah, so our, the Arbor is, oh my gosh, it's uh, this amazing documentary and it's about, oh, I should really have read this up before. Oh, and I, it's Claire Bernard, it's, isn't it, talking it's, about... Um, it's, it's Claire Bernard and it's about the playwright who wrote Rita Sue and Bob 2. That's right, and I can't remember the name. Oh, let's Google <laughs> it. And finish. Anyway, yeah. the Arbor features multiple actors um, lip syncing. And I was just, I was really struck. And I know that there have been other, there have been TV documentaries and there was a, gosh, a woman just won a Tony on Broadway for um, lip syncing the entire show. So, you know, and, but actually, and actually when in the process of, of making this film in the past kind of five years or so, when Trump came to power and the um, comedian Sarah Cooper started doing her lip syncs on Twitter and stuff and all that. And I was like, you know, I was like this, this could be the point at which people, might be ready to connect with a with a film in this way. Um, I knew that it was a bit weird that our lead actor would be a name actor, so you'd know up front that it was Alan Cumming. So that's why we explain at the start of the film Alan's connection to the story, and also that you're going to see someone lip syncing. But it was scary to cast Alan to have Alan Cumming agree to be in your film, and then to say, "Oh, by the way, you can't use your voice." Like to take Alan Cumming's voice. So I felt like Ursula the Sea Witch and. <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> hiring this amazing actor, but you can't, you can't speak. So, but, you know, Alan's always up for a challenge. Like he's doing, he's currently doing a one man dance, his first ever one man dance piece at the Edinburgh Festival right now, where he has to use his body. And in a way, this performance is the same. He had to figure out how to use his body and his face and his lips, but not be able to use his actual, his voice. So um, he, he totally rose to it. And it was the most surreal thing watching him do it. it and it's it a masterclass. Yeah, fantastic. And how did he feel about revisiting it after 30 years? He just, he's, he, his take is that it's the beauty of growing older is when things come back into your life that you thought you would never see again. 
Um, and in a film about going back in time and reconnecting with your younger self, then I just it just felt perfect that the person who should play the present day Brandon should be the man who, who was meant to do that all those years ago. Incredible, absolutely. And also meeting Brandon again for you. I mean, did he remember you? Did you remember him? Was there any kind of connection no, no he, he didn't remember me and also because like I'm, I was only in his registration class or his home right. class or whatever you call it and so and I because I wasn't clever enough to be in the classes that Brandon was in Brandon was in all the science classes and he was at top level so I didn't have that interaction I also didn't have that interaction with all the other kids because I was from this town the other side of the tracks I was busting every day I didn't have the social life and connection to everyone that everyone else had mm. so so meeting Brandon again no he didn't remember me we hung out a fair bit before the interview we'd go for lunches and coffees and dog walks and stuff um just to kind of you know build a relationship of some sort before we did this we just end up doing this long interview five and a half hour interview in one go and yeah that was it he basically gave his version of events I went into this process kind of buying his version of events because mm. he'd been the one telling it all these years and it was only through the process because I, I didn't I wasn't so involved it was only through interviewing all my classmates and you know finding stuff out that I started to think gosh this isn't quite exactly what Brandon was telling me but so does he still stick to his story then he's very because he doesn't feel at all apologetic or no, and to be fair, like he, his interview is the first interview I recorded, and then mm. he didn't, he didn't wish to partake. Once I think, once he realised that there's going to be multiple other people speaking and, and remembering stuff, he he was less interested in uh, in revisiting. So, but in Brandon's version of events, he does not really socialise with the kids. He doesn't hang out with them. He doesn't throw parties and you know do all yeah. that stuff that they that the classmates all tell me happened. So in a film with like kind of your classic unreliable narrator at the center mm. kind of have to make a decision on who you believe <laughs> that person or the 30 other people in your film who've got a different recollection yes because he, he really didn't seem to have any kind of concept of the effect that he had and it was, I felt very moved and, and saddened uh, particularly by, by the chap who had experienced such horrible racism not from Brandon, Brandon saved him. And he was clearly conflicted then, like who, what happened? How, how did that really affect me? You can't do something as major as what Brandon did at our high school and not have a huge impact yeah. for good or for bad. Mm. And there are people who, for whom the fact, just the simple fact that Brandon was there made life better for them, like, like Stephen, mm. who experienced bullying. I don't think Brandon necessarily made it his great mission to, to no. save Stephen from bullying but just the very act of friendship is what um is what made life different for him and and that's actually impacted you know as we find out at the end of the film it's impacted the rest of his life mm. um the same for 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 young Brian whose musical tastes are completely turned around by the arrival of this man who has a suspiciously large collection of 1970s vinyl <laughs> records so yeah, and but but then but there's other people like the, the girl Nicola from the film who who goes on the vacation with Brandon. She was really at the heart of the story, and she was all set to go and do to journalism college after school. Um, but when the press kind of exploded on everyone back then, she was right in the, at the kind of in the target. She was the only kid left at the school. She was a year younger than us, and it was so horrible for her that she immediately cancelled her <laughs> application to study journalism and. So that was her life then completely turned around because this person had come to her school and done this thing 
so you do wonder like and, and then and then the person whose life has been completely changed 25 years later is me you know yeah. I didn't even have any that much to do with the story but now I'm a Sundance you know filmmaker because just because purely by the coincidence that the, the, this person walked into my high school class you know 30 years ago so he continues to have an impact whether he is aware of it or cares about it or not yeah it is it's an extraordinary thing to revisit and I mean obviously he's in his 60s now and never became not, the... not quite yet not next quite, year okay. next, next, next year, year yeah. you'll be 60 yeah yeah Strange to think which about, is yeah. yeah incredible I mean I remember it so well I remember it happening and I remember seeing his face and it was interesting how everybody talks about it in the documentary because I remember looking at him and going no who would have fallen for that and then looking at it again and thinking actually hmm you know it's the collective <sighs> duping is fascinating a big big part of why we bought the story was the North American thing because we were used to seeing 90210 and Greece and all those TV shows and movies where 30-year-olds played American teenagers. So I think subconsciously or, or overtly, we thought that's what North Americans looked like. So, you know, and he named himself after the character from 90210. You know, there was a bit of a big, there's lots of stitching into kind of popular culture and the name Brandon Lee and that whole debate we have about why choose that name two months after the death um, of Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow? Like, all of that is so fascinating. And it's so mm. 90s as well. That, and that's really the aesthetic that I wanted to kind of capture in the film and with the music and all that kind of stuff is, you know, we're, we, we're certainly hitting a 90s kind of zeitgeist um, recently. So, yes, yeah, we exactly. tap into that. I mean, it is a masterful piece of deception. And like you often discuss in the thing, how incredibly clever he was. And I can't help thinking when I was watching it as well, like that divide between people who are born to wealth, like your Bears Den community, and who are accepted. And then you have people like Brandon who have to, who, who never quite feel like they're part of it. So they invent themselves. And lots and lots of people do do that. But lots of people are imposters and feel like imposters, sorry. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a theme and it's definitely something like I, I wrote a piece recently about my favourite, favourite movie, which is Muriel's Wedding. Um, and it's just, for me, it's the total, it's, it's a just sheer genius. It's my film I can watch again and again. And at the heart of that is this girl who tells lies. She just lies and, and you know, commits fraud. And, but um, that doesn't mean that she doesn't find a way to do some good kind of along the way and so yeah I wanted to, I wanted this film to have the same kind of humor and sweetness and heartbreak that 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 film has and even to the extent that the, the, uh, there's a scene in, the, in my old school where the kids go to the cinema it's the cinema I used to work in I worked in the local multiplex cinema at the time um, when Brandon uh, was around and uh, yeah, we have them going to see Muriel's wedding at the, at the cinema in animated fashion. I hadn't spotted that, but, <laughs> yes. but yeah, no, I think that I, I am left ultimately with a sense of celebration, with a sense of this is humanity. This is, you know, this crazy thing happened and we're kind of all okay, you know, and even just having like Lulu and Claire Grogan in it, I, I found them sort of like, they're kind of like, 
Scottish matriarchs that make it all okay. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, it's the high school movie thing. That's what I'm partly doing there. I mean, partly it was about roping in people I knew to kind of do stuff. And, and, and you know, the, the fact that Lulu, um, you know, did To Serve With Love all those years ago and that film had those themes of race and and, mm. and kind of, you know, it's, I mean, well, basically every high school movie is sort of the same plot. A stranger arrives in a high school and things will never be the same again. That's the plot of To Serve With Love. It's the plot of Gregory's Girl. And, and you know, even Romy and Michelle that Alan was in is about people who go back to school and, and create entirely new lives for themselves as inventors of the post-it. So, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to reference all that. For me, this was the ultimate high school movie that happened in our class. And so, you know, that's basically what I've made. I think possibly maybe some people hear the outline of this plot and they, they think they're coming to see the Tinder swindler or the imposter. But I've, I, I kind of made a Gregory's Girl like kind of high school movie and I wanted to capture kind of that sort of sweetness and, and fun. You certainly have. And I, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear you say that because I, I did come in with that exact thought. I thought, oh, gosh, this is going to be quite dark. And and it has darkness, but it's, you know, light and shade of a really great high school movie, like you say, you know, so I'm, I, it's just wonderful. And obviously it's in cinemas and this is a cinema podcast. So tell me about the importance of cinema and seeing it in a cinema. Gosh, it's just been so special to like, if it was over in the States uh, the past couple of weeks, kind of launching over there and screening it in Los Angeles and New York. And it's, all, it's always, it's the dream that people can come and pay attention and, and really be absorbed in, in the film that you make. Um, you know, when we went through the Sundance process, there's lots of, there was lots of producers getting excited. Are we going to be bought by a big streamer? And for me, you know, that's great. That'll sort out all your money worries, guys. But for me, that would have broken my heart a little bit because, you know, the dream was for me was for it to get to reach a cinema audience and for people to be able to connect with it in that way and not for it to be a little tile on a screen that vanishes you know up as you scroll along not that you, and that's great people are able to connect with films and find films a lot better that way but for me there's just something absolutely magical about and especially because because I made a high school movie I wanted it to have that life I wanted it to have and be able to sit and there's not there's I mean to go and to the screening we did in Glasgow and we did another one that's in Andrews Film Festival it's just so special to be particularly to be in a Scottish audience and, and, and hear them kind of react and connect to kind of the humor and the fun and the and then the sadness and stuff in the film has been really special. And you just, you know, I wouldn't, I'd be sitting at home wondering, checking Twitter to see what people were saying about my film if it was just, you know, reaching people digitally. So yeah, it's really, it's really cool. John, I'm so happy to have talked to you today. I really, really enjoyed the film and good luck with it. It's coming out on the 19th, is that right? Across yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Are you um, doing any Q&As? Are you doing any Q&As? Yeah, we're doing a special Q&A uh, this Friday the 12th at the BFI. That's with me, Alan, uh, Claire Grogan and Lulu. Uh, so they're, they're kind of like my high school. They're basically, I don't think there's another Scottish actor who's been in as iconic high school movies as those three do you know what yeah. I mean I call them my kind of you know Romy and Michelle Gregory's girl to start with love Scottish oh high God. school icons yeah. so this is going to be like the we're like the witches of Macbeth gathering for the PFI <laughs> screening and uh and yeah Alan and I are, are doing a couple of screenings up in Glasgow on the 16th of August so but I think they're all sold out the, the London one isn't but, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> hopefully people will hear this in time thank you so much for joining us today and have a wonderful rest of your day thank you Johnny. thank you so much Felicity <laughs>